received the Lord of your life this morning. I'll tell you what, Jesus has done a lot of things and we wouldn't know about most of them if not for this. That's why we honor this. This is why this is so important to us. Our anchor for the truth is this right here. This is why we stay standing for the, for the reading of the word because we honor what's in the word, amen? We're in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning if you'll join us there. Hebrews chapter one, or sorry, ver chapter 11 starting in verse one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered a, uh, to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for, for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, her, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, in him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though I, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of you. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for pastor. Come on now. Amen. Love you, bud. Man, we love the word of God at Eternity Church, don't we? Amen. Amen. The word of God, it's, the, it's a book of life. It's the book of life. And as you read it and as you sit under it and as you meditate on it, it just refreshes your soul. Do you believe that, church? So good to be in church, isn't it? Again, I want to say welcome to anybody who's new to church today. Uh, and obviously, we don't just love new people. We love all of you. Glad that you're here today. Um, I was thinking about our services a little bit, and they're getting a bit fuller. Um, and uh, 10.30 is particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, particularly full and busting at the seams. And uh, we're going to, this week and over the next few weeks, ask them to do us a favor and pray and seek God uh, and ask God if perhaps he's leading them to come to church with you. And... Um, <clears throat> and see what service they might need to be at. And then the good news for you is you're going to meet some more people and it's going to get doit in church at 8.30 as well as people uh, make room for all the new people coming to church. So. And it's good to be in church. Isn't it good to be in a growing church, right? Right? I've heard it said, grow at all costs. No, we're not going to do that though. We will grow only as we continue to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. Amen? And, uh, and if preaching the truth and if preaching the grace of Jesus Christ should ever become so unpalatable to the world that it uh, burns the church down, well, then get your s'mores because uh, we're, we're just going to melt some marshmallows and have some cookies at church, all right? 
but we will never stop preaching the truth no matter how the world feels about it. Sound good, church? And uh, so you can, you can come to church every week knowing that you will hear the word of God and the whole counsel of it. It will never be determined by what's popular or what's affirmed by the world, but what God has written, <clears throat> what God has said is good for your life. Amen? So today we're in Hebrews, but um, you may take your seats now. Thank you for standing for the word, which is our custom at Eternity Church. Um, <clears throat> I had Pastor Sean read that because um, we're just playing a bit of a psychological trick on you, uh, and that is that um, you won't be bored with my voice as quickly today as you would have been if I read that whole chapter. So it's just our little trick, and it'll still work, even though you know we did it. So it's all good, but... Y'all ready for the word today? Yeah, someone come here hoping to grow a little bit closer to God today? You know, we don't come to church just to hear some guy with a weird accent um, and who doesn't know how to apparently dress up neat enough for church, uh, bring the word. We came because we want to hear from God. We came because we want God to move in our lives. Uh, We came because we want to exalt the Lord and lift his name up. And I believe that today as your heart is open, uh, that you're going to grow in your faith and that you'll leave this place, my hope is, uh, a little bit more like Jesus, okay? So let me just intro a little bit to our new sermon series. Our new sermon series is called Heroes of the Faith. Um, Today, we're basing my sermon on Hebrews chapter 11 that Pastor Sean so graciously just read to you. Um, Now, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it was written uh, to Jewish Christians that had been scattered, and uh, the the Jewish Christians had been scattered, the Jews had been scattered a bit too, Um, but the Jewish Christians were probably residing, these ones anyway, in Italy, uh, as the author sends greetings from others who come from Italy, um, he wasn't sending greetings from those in Italy, but he was sending greetings to the people in Italy from other Jewish Christians and leaders that came from Italy. So just people that they're aware of. It'd be like someone who lived here and moved to Orange County and sends their greetings back, right? Helps us know who he's writing this to. Jewish Christians living in Italy. Now, these Jewish Christians were experiencing a lot of rejection. Um, They were being kicked out of institutions that they had long been welcomed in, institutions that they probably helped lead or helped run or were a part of, and they're all being kicked out for their faith because their belief systems went against the prevailing cultural narrative, okay? So that's the sort of social uh, dilemma that these Jewish Christians in Italy are finding themselves in. Then add to that sort of social pressure, they're also in transition from their original leaders, right? The the first leaders, that would be like transitioning your church from the the founding pastor to the next generation of leaders. And, um, And there seemed to be a bit of fear in the author's heart that these Jewish Christians might abandon their faith under so much social and, uh, and, uh, and even sort of church political kind of pressure that they're facing. So because of that, the author throws in a lot of encouragement and exhortations all throughout the letter. But essentially, the letter uh, goes as follows, right? First, the author speaks of 
Jesus Christ's superiority to the angels, then, uh, then moves on to Christ's superiority to Moses, whom the law came through, uh, his superiority to Aaron, whom the priesthood came through. Uh, then the letter speaks of the superiority of Christ's um, priest, sorry, priestly ministry of Jesus. Uh, then after that, the letter sort of turns a bit more personal toward the readers. It encourages them to continue living in this superior covenant of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, then in chapter 11, which Pastor Sean just read, its focus moves into a great example of men and women of faith that we can and that we should emulate in our lives, or that they specifically can emulate and should emulate in their own lives. So this week I was reading the entire book of Hebrews again. Um, I do love the book of Hebrews. It's a wonderful book. Um, but one thing I love about it is the flow of it. It's got, it's got a very different kind of flow. So it goes from a very, very theological and very wordy, and, and it's got propitiation and big words that we, we don't really, that a lot of people don't really understand. And you don't just read Hebrews once and put it down and be like, I got it, nailed it, I understand it, we're all good, right? Usually you've got to go back through it a few times and go, okay, what was he talking about? What did this mean? Mean. And it's very theological and can come across a little overwhelming and complicated, uh, maybe your first pass. And then it moves to a very personable uh, kind of dynamic where he's just really ministering to and encouraging you. And then it gets really practical, all right? <clears throat> so here's what you ought to do now uh, with your life. And here's some things you can do to, to live in this encouragement. So uh, what I want to do is I want to encourage all of you this week, read the whole book of Hebrews. It's only 13 chapters. Um, and as I said, even if you don't fully understand it on your first pass through, the cool thing about the Word of God is it's the living Word of God. It's not like this leather is still alive, but the words in it bring life, okay? And whether you fully understand it on your first or second or third pass or not, just reading the Word of God with an open heart is like water washing over your soul. So I want to encourage you, whether it's complicated or not, just read the whole thing this week. It's a great book, and I think you're going to love it. If you have any questions, you're like, I don't really really fully understand that, but it's interesting. Um, just call up the church and ask to meet with one of our staff, with one of our pastors. They will say yes. If you ask to meet with a pastor at our church and everyone says no, let me know. We'll hire some new pastors to replace them, okay? <laughs> And so, but um, no, because we're here for you and we love you and we're not just here. We're not this group of people that are like, honor us. No, 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 no. We, we're here to serve you, okay, and help you understand and equip the saints with the word. Amen? So read it all this week. I think you will really love it, okay? But now back to um, chapter 11. Chapter 11, this list of the faithful, right? It's a curious list, isn't it? Like, it is curious. I don't know if you understood or, or if you were following along. 
uh, with Sean on the screen. But, but it, it is a curious, the people on the list and what it has to say about them. And it honors them. It respects them. Uh, there is a reverence for the men of God and there's a reverence for the women of God that have gone before them. Um, and in that reverence and in that honor and in that respect, we're able to see things in their lives that we need to replicate in our lives, okay? Um, my old pastor used to say, and you may have heard me say, that, in, that you should honor in people what you want to replicate in people, okay? And so basically, if somebody is being really generous, and generosity is one of our core values, and we want to replicate generosity in others, so we should honor generosity when we see it. And that'll cause it to be replicated, okay? Uh, if somebody's got a really great heart for, for the lost, and then we should honor what's happening in their heart, and, and then it'll be replicated in others. Another thing that, that he said, though, was honor in others what you want to see replicated in yourself as well. And so what the writer does here is he's encouraging them to honor these things in these men and women of God. And in doing so, it will help replicate those things in their own lives. But perhaps one of the things that stands out to me the most as I read this list is the omission of any justifiers on the list. The author has not at any point in the list justified why in spite of their sin or struggles or issues, they have included these men and women on the list. So obviously the primary author of all of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And so why has the Holy Spirit declined to justify himself or to justify the reasons for including these men and women on a list of people that we're being told we ought to emulate them in our lives? Um, what I mean by that is, Today, we do tend to um, disqualify people when they fail, don't we? We tend to make mistakes. Uh, sorry, when people make mistakes or when they do something stupid in their lives, we tend to disqualify them. And if we ever choose to allow them back into ministry, like allow, like, like sometimes we think that we are the ones that qualify people for the call of God and that we are the ones who will disqualify people for the call of God, right? like a bit of an arrogant kind of elevating ourselves to a position next to God where we're like, we will choose who's allowed and not allowed and who's qualified and who's disqualified. But we tend to disqualify people when they make a mistake. And if ever we should choose to allow them back on the list of those we ought to emulate and follow, well, then we would usually add qualifiers after that, right? Like if, if, so, if, if, if Mr. ABC should mess up his life and then... At whatever point we let Mr. ABC back on a list and tell people to emulate him, we would probably add a qualifier and be like, we know that, but still this, right? Like an example might be, we might say, look, hey, by faith, David is someone you should emulate. Now, obviously, I'm not saying you need to copy everything he did. Obviously, I know David did some really stupid things. And obviously, I'm not saying that you should perv on your neighbor through the window. Obviously, I'm not saying you should take her to the bed, get her pregnant, have her husband killed like David did. But there are some things in David's life and in his faith that I think we ought to copy. Is that not how we would do that these days? We would add the qualifiers before we say this is a man or a woman of God. 
It's like we can't just say, I love King David. I love his faith. I want to be like David. We've got to qualify. Well, I don't mean I want to, you know, the whole rooftop thing, you know. <clears throat> but this list is different than that. It's gracious in that it does not list the charges brought against them at certain times. It does not list the struggles they endured, some of their own making. It does not list the previous moments where they actually lacked faith. It just talks about by faith and emulate that. And so now when you read Genesis, which we have been doing, it's healthy to understand that, that we are being given a, 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 a run through of their lives. And it's healthy to understand that Abraham made mistakes And what that does is it helps us to see God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, which carried him through. Same for Noah and Isaac and Jacob. But as we we read through their struggles and failures, it's an opportunity to see that sin does, in fact, hurt, okay? Sin does hurt, okay? But, 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 But God's grace and God's mercy is bigger than our sin. And that anyone who comes to God and confesses their sin to him will be forgiven, will be saved, and will be given purpose in this life. Amen? But that's That's why it's there, not so that we can lose respect for Abraham, not so we can say Abraham's a bad guy, not so we can try and disqualify someone that God has qualified, but so that we can learn about the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of our God, amen? And so, so that we can see that although, yeah, there were moments that Abraham lacked godly masculinity in leading his family, that God did still use him. God still had a plan for him. And God redeemed the failures and God helped him to become the man of God, the family man, the husband and the father that God always saw in him. That's why it's in there. So we look at that and we'd be like, oh, I don't want to do that when we're reading that. But when we're not in that, we don't need to talk about his failures when we're talking about his accomplishments. Amen? Today, I'm pretty sure that if anyone in, in our modern culture, particularly in our, our, our godless culture, um, if anyone were to compile a list of heroes of the faith, similar to Hebrews chapter 11, it would probably go something a bit more like this. By faith, Abel offered a great sacrifice to God, and because of his faith, God commended him as righteous. <clears throat> Be like Abel. By faith, Enoch was taken up without ever tasting death. Because of his faith, God commended him as righteous, so be like Enoch. By faith, Sarah um, saw God open her womb and she gave birth to the promised son. Be like Sarah. And then it would probably go downhill from there and they would write, and I'd like to tell you about Noah and how you should emulate him. But there was this one time he got drunk and it did splinter his family and ruin it for generations. I'd love to tell you to emulate, emulate, <coughs> excuse me, to emulate Abraham, but there were those moments where he lied and he lacked masculinity and he pimped out his wife and he, he got paid for it with some extra cattle and some gold and some silver. I'd love to tell you to be like 
Isaac, or that Isaac was a godly man, but he did copy his father in telling Abimelech that Rebekah was his sister. Uh, Jacob lied. In fact, his name meant deceiver, liar, untrustworthy. I'd like to tell you to look up to Joseph, uh, but there was that time he was accused of forcing himself on Potiphar's wife, and he says he didn't do it, but we all know where there's smoke, there's fire, and plus, you know the rules, hashtag believe women. He totally did it. You ever hear about Moses' parents? How they broke the law. Everybody was killing babies, but they refused to go along with the law of the land, and they had the audacity to hide the baby. Moses himself killed a dude, ran away, brought pain and suffering to the Egyptians, disrespected his stepmom, and didn't honor the gifts that the royal family gave him. I'd love to tell you that the Israelites were godly people, that they had faith when they crossed the Red Sea, but does that really count when all they did was grumble, 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 grumble? Uh, I've heard people talking about that hooker, Rahab, like she's some example of the faithful hiding spies in the wall and helping the people of God, like her past doesn't even count anymore. What about Gideon? What a wimp. God doesn't use wimps. The prophet Barak, that guy was a war hawk, killing people, enabling the government in the killing of other nations. Samson, womanizer. Jeff Tuth, that dude was a Hebrew nationalist, and you know it. David, you know what David did last summer? Samuel disqualified. His own kids don't follow the Lord. That's how they'd write the list. <clears throat> Come on now. Oh, that's it. Then they'd go on and look through the feats of things that, are told, that we're told emulate this. And they'd say conquering kingdoms is an act of faith, you hypocrite. You think enforcing, enforcing justice is godly? Come on now. Laws don't do anything. Enforcing justice. Laws don't change hearts like they forget that perhaps although law may not change a heart, it can restrain the ungodly from doing ungodly things. I'll give you something, they'll, they'll say like, oh, maybe, maybe stopping the mouths of lions is pretty rad, but, but Daniel wouldn't have even been in that den if he just did what the government said. Come on now. People praising God for being mighty in war and destroying their enemies, armies. Come on now, violence is never the way. Do you really want to emulate people who were mocked, flogged, stoned, sawn into two? People who were killed with swords? People who dressed in tattered old animal skins were abused, mistreated, beaten, ridiculed, living in caves, hiding in dens in the wild? That's not faith. Just be like Enoch. Be like Abel. Be like Sarah. And I know you might say that Sarah did live a rich life, but she was only rich because her patriarch husband who overlorded and did the wrong thing. So be like Enoch and Sarah and Abel. They lived a modest but decent life. And since we are surrounded by such a small number of witnesses, let us run the race that God marked for us. That's how our world treats people now. It's like our world, and to be honest, many Christians too, have forgotten that it is by God's grace and mercy alone that any of us are able to have faith and be reconciled to God. By God's grace and His mercy alone. Hands up if you've sinned this year. Come on, give me a hand up if you've sinned this year, all right? 
All right, come on, come on, come on. Don't be shy. We know, all right, we know, all right. Uh, yell out what you did. Go, no, I'm just kidding right now. Like, like, like let, you know what? You know what? You know what? I, I've, been, I've been following you around. I've got spies, okay? I, I've got spies. They've been following you, and I, they've been writing it down. I've actually got a list. Throw it up on the screen. I, I think you'll find some of your sin up here somewhere, right? And so... Come on, come on, who in here has been telling dirty jokes? Come on now, all right? You, we know, we've been watching you. We've got some rageaholics in here. People been getting drunk. Who's been swinging up in here? And I don't mean around the trees. Come on now. Who's that you? Is that, who did that? Did you do that last summer? Come on now. If you've ever done that, you're dead to me. Are you a gossip, disobedient, ruthless, heartless? Come on, homosexuality, greed, lust, envy, lacking faith. Who ain't been tithing? Come on, we're coming for you for sure. Who got divorced, all right? Who's not been leaving some money around the edge of your budget for the less fortunate? Did you know that if your budget does not include room for someone less fortunate than you, you're in sin? Boastful, malice, deceit, heartless, idolaters, swindlers, ungrateful, bad stewards. Who's not been paying their child support? <laughs> if anything on that list is something that you have ever done, the world would disqualify you. In a world that has abandoned the word of God, in a world that has no anchor, in a world that has nothing to define what is right and what is wrong, in a world that does not believe in any such thing as absolute truth. You know, if there's nothing to define right and wrong, then right and wrong is defined by popularity. That's it. That's it. If, there's, if there is nothing that's anchored to define right and wrong, then right and wrong is purely just a construct of the times that you live in. And if that's true, that the word of God does not define right and wrong, if that's true that there's no absolute truth, which means that can't be absolutely true either, which means there is absolute truth. Whoa. If it's true there's no absolute truth and that the word of God does not define right and wrong and that right and wrong is a construct of the times that we live in, then that would mean that slavery though wrong now, was in fact actually good a couple of hundred years ago. Because if it's defined by the construct, if it's just a construct defined by the times that we live in, defined by what's popularly accepted, the majority rules, one reason why I love the United States, the majority doesn't get to destroy everybody else. Great constitution, such a great document. But... See, the majority of people back then thought slavery was fine. Therefore, it's good. But the majority no longer do. Therefore, it's bad. But to go back and judge someone, it's crazy. But right and wrong is defined by the word of God. So I know that slavery was always sin, was always wrong, is sin, is wrong, and will always be sin 
and will always be wrong because I have a book that is an anchor and a guide to my life. Amen. But, in a, but this world does not have this anchor. And right and wrong is a construct of opinions and the time that they live in. There's no rock solid rules or foundations. And even though they do not have an anchor, and even though there's no foundation, and even though right and wrong is ever changing, they do have a very high punishment for anyone who should ever veer to the left or to the right of their unwritten and ever changing sense of morality. We, the church, on the other hand, have a very high standard of what is right and what is wrong. We, the church, we have a very high standard of right and wrong. An absolute and unchanging, unwavering understanding of how we ought to live our lives. And we have a passionate desire to share the truth with the rest of the world. But along with that extraordinarily high standard of truth, comes an extraordinarily high standard of mercy and grace. That though we elevate the truth of the word of God, that those who fall short and come to the Father are welcome in his house. Amen. But for some reason, now that we live after the cross, in many, many spheres of some churches, but also in culture, it seems that there is only room for those leaders who have perfected the art of being perfect according to an ever-changing list of rules for their entire lives. Oh, how the world loves to mock a leader or a believer that falls from grace. But how the church should relish, love, and search for opportunities to show mercy, to speak truth, and offer grace. Amen? Let's not be the sort of believers that demand uh, perfection, that demand more from a human than a human could ever deliver. Let's not be the sort of believers that demand our leaders and other believers be our saviors. Come on, in this world of ex-evangelicals, not evangelicals, we're evangelicals. In this world of ex-evangelicals that seek to tear down any businessman, any leader, any person that wasn't perfect for the entirety of their lives, let's not be like them. In a world that has an ever-changing sense of morality, they'll tell you that nobody can change. Well, maybe that's true, but one encounter with the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit can change any heart and any life. Amen? Let's not be like them. You know what? In this world of, of ex-evangelicals, they, they, they tear down these leaders, not because they hate the leaders so much, but because they hate themselves for what they do. And it's easier to tear down the messenger who brings the word of God than it is to change their lives. Let's not tear people down because, they're, because they're, they're not perfect or they made a mistake or they did this. No, no, no. Let's search for opportunities to emulate Christ by showing mercy and being gracious. Can I get it? Being gracious. Can I get an amen? Instead of developing a critical spirit that wants to find reasons to stop listening to the leaders and the pastors and the prophets and the teachers in my life, I want to honor those that the Lord put over me. I honor my elders and my board members. I honor Troy Spoonamore. I honor John Lutz. I honor Paul Geeling. I honor Benny Perez. I honor Troy Maxwell. I honor Ashley Evans. I honor them all because all of them are good and godly men. 
the modern ex-evangelical, as I said, they don't tear down these leaders so much that they hate the leaders so much as they hate what's in their lives. They hate that their lives don't line up with the word that's being preached. So rather than submit to godly authority in their lives, and rather than allowing God to change their lives, they tear down the messenger. They tear down the pastor. They tear down the prophet. They tear it down in an effort to discredit and disqualify the word of God in an attempt to release themselves of the pressure that they feel in their souls. People talk about, oh, it's, it's like they look at every pastor of a church they grew up in, whether it be a church of 10 or 20 or 100 or 200 or wherever it is, and they're like, oh, that, that leader was abusive. And do you know what? Maybe there are some abusive leaders out there. There are. There are some bad people out there. Absolutely. It's maybe 1% of them. So more likely is that you just didn't want to submit to the word of God. So in an effort to discredit the word, you attacked the messenger to make you feel better about the pressure building up in your soul. If I was them, I would rather admit, I'm not perfect. I need God's help to be all that God has called me to be. I'd rather acknowledge that no leader in my life has lived a perfect life, but I will submit to the word of God delivered through them, amen? You think my board are perfect? They're good guys. They're not perfect. You think our elders are perfect? They're not perfect. They are good guys though. And I honor the men and women of faith that have gone before me in a world that wants to tear them all down, in a world that wants to destroy anyone and everyone that preaches the whole gospel. I want to build them up. Oh, they might tolerate you if you only preach half the gospel. They might tolerate you if you only say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. This I know all day long. Come back next week. Let me tell you how much Jesus loves you, right? Oh, they'll tolerate you. But if you preach that coupled with the other half of the, the truth of the word of God, they will tear you down. Well, I want to honor those who went before me. In a world that tears them down, I want to build them up. I want to honor those who bring the word. I want to honor those who by faith have paved the way. I want to honor those who by faith have done extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. I honor and I celebrate the word of God. I honor and I celebrate the prophets. I honor and I celebrate Paul the apostle. I honor and I celebrate Peter, who Jesus renamed Cephas. I love that in so many encounters with Jesus, he's like, what's your name, Steve? From now on, you're Bob. I don't know why, but I love it, right? <clears throat> Whether or not we find something wrong in their lives comes out or doesn't, I honor and receive the word of God that came through them because I love the word of God and I am thankful that God does not only call the perfect because I wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be here and no pastor, no preacher, no prophet, no leader, no businessman, no believers, no one in the congregation, it would be an empty tomb. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't call out heresy, absolutely, but there is a difference between heresy and error, okay? There's a big difference between heresy and error. Peter himself was corrected for being a hypocrite by Paul the Apostle. In Galatians, um, Peter uh, had turned up to hang out um, with a group of people, uh, and they were Gentiles, and Peter was Jewish, 
And so Peter was hanging out with them. He's just eating with them, just chilling out with them. He's like, yeah, 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 get me another glass of water. This is awesome. Let's hang out, you know. Oh, cool. I love your Mediterranean food. It's beautiful, you know. Get me some more. He's having a good time. He's hanging out with them. And then some other Jewish leaders turn up, and he retreated from them. And he here. And Paul goes, dude, you're being such a hypocrite. You're, well, you're, you're totally cool with hanging out with Gentiles, and you preach about that, but when, a, uh, when another Jewish nobility sees you, you run away. So Paul, the apostle, calls out Peter, the apostle, because Peter was in error, still a man of God, making mistakes along the way. You hear what I'm saying? He was not a heretic for what he did. Heresy is when people like Andy Stanley discredit the Old Testament, discredit creation, discredit God's design, discredit God's plans and purposes, attacks God's plans for family, for gender, for marriage, for life. That's heresy. Heresy undermines the gospel. How does it undermine the gospel? By attacking that stuff back there in Genesis. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything that was made was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning. He's the Word, and the Word was there in the beginning. So you would read that, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And in the beginning... Um, all things were made through Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing was made. In Jesus was life. When you undermine his work in the beginning, when you undermine the foundations of it all, you undermine the Savior that came to save. And we call out heretics and we remove their influence from our lives because they undermine the gospel. But error? We expect error. I expect error in my leaders. I expect error in my spouse. And she expects error in me. I expect error in my friends. And I expect there to be some error in your life too. Doesn't make you a heretic. It's just some error in your life. That as the Holy Spirit convicts and you're willing to submit yourself under the Word of God, you will see it line up with the Word of God and leave your error in the past. Amen. And so discovering that you haven't lived a perfect life does not discredit the gospel, but reinforces the power of the gospel. And showing grace and mercy to those who have had error does not undermine the gospel, but reinforces the power in the gospel. So not only do I honor those from hundreds or thousands of years ago, but I honor those in this present day who by faith have done extraordinary things for the cause of the gospel. And who by faith have overcome huge obstacles. And who by faith have stood strong against an onslaught of abuse from the media and from all these ex-evangelicals. And, and those who have shown us that by faith a leader can stand strong on the word of God. That no matter what comes at you, no matter what happens to you, no matter what goes on around you, no matter how many darts the enemy throws towards you, no matter what mistakes you may have made in the past, no matter where you've been, 
no matter what you've seen, that you can stand firm on the Word of God, that we don't have to give up, that we can keep running the race marked out for us that Hebrews 12 talks about, that though this may have gone on around us, it may have happened to us and it may be following us and this, that, and the other, that we can still fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we can finish the race strong. Amen. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to honor some people that the ex-evangelicals would love to tear down. I want to draw a line. I'm not into this statue tearing down culture. I'm not into this, somebody had a mistake at some point in their life, so therefore cancel, destroy, seek, what is it, seek and destroy kind of life. I'm not into it. I want to draw some lines. I ain't that. Oh, I hold up the word of God and say, this is how we ought to live our lives. And what's wrong now was wrong then. What's wrong then was wrong now. But I understand that nobody's perfect. We all need a savior. What good has come from your life that I can honor? Hallelujah. I'm not going to honor a heretic. I'm not going to honor someone who does not believe in the Jesus that I believe in. But I'm going to honor somebody and say, hey, what good has come from your life? Thank you for showing us the way, being a man or a woman of God. Can somebody say amen? So we're drawing some lines, and over the next three weeks, we're going to honor Brian Houston, the man of God, who by faith has seen hundreds and thousands of souls saved all around the world. A man of God who has, uh, who, 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 you know what, there may be some minor things that you theologically disagree with him. I guarantee they'll be minor when you look at the gospel. Come on now. But you know what? He's a man of God who has seen hundreds and thousands of people saved, whose influence has spread the world. He's empowered leaders and pastors all around the world, so much so that when the media hates him, they hate anyone that's even tied to him, Right? He's shown us how to stand firm, even though the media has for 20 to 30 years tried to tie the sins of his father around his neck. Praise God, he was uh, vindicated and acquitted in a court of law just a few weeks ago. Thank God for that, right? But I'm not the type of leader who waits for the world to vindicate someone. I know that hanging the sins of the father around the son's neck is sin because my Bible says that exact thing, that you shall not, you shall not, not punish the children for the sins of their father. And so I knew that was wrong already. So we booked him in a long time before the court case was finished because we don't care. We're not waiting for the world to tell us it's okay to honor a man of God. We're gonna honor a man of God. Can someone say amen? So he's preaching next weekend right here. People say things. I've heard people say, well, you know, oh, prosperity. Do you know what? Brian Houston gets asked to preach all around the world still all the time. I want to honor him because he stood firm even though his church didn't stand by him. Broke my heart. Broke my heart. Just goodbye, man who built this. Goodbye, man of God who served this. Broke my heart. Well, we're going to honor him here in Des Moines. Amen. We're going to honor him here. I, I, I kind of love the newfound boldness that, that I'm seeing in that man anyway after being decoupled from that anyway. I'm, I'm loving what I see. Just a few weeks ago, he preached at a church of 15,000 people, and he's still willing to come here for, I don't know, 13 to 1,500 people next weekend. Isn't that cool? And you want to say things that some preachers ask, how much, you, how, much, how much will you pay me to come? Some do ask that. The bloke hasn't even mentioned it. He's not coming here for money. He's coming here to serve you and to minister to you. 
He's one of the bishops of our generation, and we are going to honor him. Do me a favor when he gets up to preach next week, because everywhere he goes, he's got people ridiculing him. When he gets up to preach next weekend, honor the man by honoring the gift on his life and welcome him to church. Amen. Then after that, we're going to honor, where am I at? We're going to honor Pastor Tommy Barnett, the man of God who pastored the first ever mega church in America. And some would say, some would say, some would say that they're a little, oh, by the way, that first ever mega church in America was in Davenport, Iowa. Did you know that? That's crazy, isn't it? So he's coming back to Iowa. We should put a campus in Davenport. What do you think? You know, that'd be awesome. Let's have the second megachurch there, you know, since that's the media call us the ultra-conservative megachurch. I see empty seats. I don't know how this is a megachurch. Anyway, whatever. We've got a mega vision. Come on now. But He pastored the first ever megachurch. Some would say that he went a bit seeker-friendly. I don't know. I wasn't here. But I do know that when the world started uh, going crazy and started attacking people who preach a gospel different than what the world wants to hear, that him, his church, and his family stood firmly on the side of truth, that they showed their true colors, and they showed us younger pastors. I still think I'm a young pastor. I'm like 49 or something. I don't know how old I am. But I'm young. And he showed us, younger pastors, that though we have a lot to lose... The right thing to do, no matter how big or small your church is, no matter how much you might lose, and no matter how big the cost you might pay is, we got to do the right thing. And so in about 2019-ish, end of 2019, when the world was going crazy, they stood up and showed us, and we're going to honor him for being a man of God that firmly stands up, that felt the pressure in the world and did not bow down, but stood up stronger and louder and bolder. We're going to honor the man of God. And when he comes, he's like 80-something years old. Yeah, it's so cool. He literally will be the oldest preacher we've ever had on this stage. Served God for 50, I think he's been a pastor for 50, 60 years. We're going to honor the longevity in that man's life, amen? It's going to be unreal. We're not Googling, but did he? What did he? What did they choose? Honor the gift on his life. Amen. And then we're going to honor Ron Mellon. Five people know who he is. And that's the point. That's the point. We're going to honor Ron Mellon, a man of God serving, who served for 37 or 38 years in rural Australia. He was my lead pastor growing up. He planted that church. Well, one guy planted it and then left maybe 50 people there. Ron took over, watered it, and it grew. We're going to honor my childhood pastor who for years and years without any recognition served God faithfully, working his butt off for the kingdom of God. And in America, no one knows his name. Outside of that community in Australia, pretty much no one knows his name. He had, I don't know, maybe 280, 300 people, which by the way is huge in a town of 2,000 in his church. Phenomenal leader, good man. And in doing so, we're honoring all the rural pastors across the United States and across the world who with no recognition, with really bad pay for most of them, 
uh, and with a lot of pressure where you are the lead pastor, the worship leader, the da -da 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 -da, all the things, the cleaner, the janitor, the secretary, the accountant, um, the board member when everyone quits because you didn't preach what they want, which is quite difficult in a small town. He's been there. We're going to honor all those pastors that have just sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed and sowed by honoring my childhood pastor, Pastor Ron. Okay? And so give him a great big welcome. He actually flies in. <clears throat> He's actually going to be around for about three weeks. Um, and he actually flies in. Um, uh, what's, he flies in tomorrow, I think. And so, um, so Lauren and I are giving him a vacation somewhere as well. And just want to just honor the, the things that, and the foundation they build in our lives. And, um, he's also going to be in Audubon on Wednesday the 11th um, for church. So all you guys in Audubon, be there for a church service, worship, and a word uh, from a man who has stayed the course for a long time. Uh, and then in Allwine as well on Wednesday the 18th as well. So, um, and he'll be hanging out here for, for weekends as well, and you'll get to see Pastor Ron and talk to him and ask him, uh, you know, why he didn't fix whatever it is you wish he fixed in my life as a kid. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, Doug and Tammy have got some questions for Ron. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, uh, but here, in doing this, it's not just that I want to honor them, though I do. And for each of them, there comes a cost for us. For each of them, there comes a cost for us. But in honoring them, I hope for you to see that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, can we put the list of their sin back up on the screen for me? That no matter whether you've blasphemed, if you're here and you're asking that unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, have I done it? I hope I haven't. If you ask the question, have I done it? I hope I haven't. I want to I wanna be saved. Then you haven't done it. Your heart is not hardened. You hear what I'm saying? So don't stress about that. The people that have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and will never be saved don't care and don't want to be saved. It's a permanent hardening of their heart, which you obviously haven't done. You've been a bad steward. You lied on your taxes. You stole from your boss. You've been lacking faith, which is sin. Lust, jealousy, envy, murder. I don't know what you did last summer. I don't know what you did last week. But it's my hope that as we honor these other people and as we talk about grace and mercy, that you would understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been accused of, no matter the highs or the lows, that there is a place for you at Eternity Church. Just repent and turn your life around. Give it to God, let go of your sin, and live a life that honors God. Amen. As I say often these days, for yesterday, mercy. For tomorrow, grace and truth. What's that mean? Well, we'll put that up here. For yesterday, mercy, and for tomorrow, grace and truth. What that means is that no matter what you did at 9.53, that was yesterday. Today at 9.54, that's today. And we're telling you, know, here's the right way to live. And then we're praying that at 9.55, the grace of God would empower you to live 
in the truth that you now know and understand. Are you hearing me? That's the gospel right there, is that there is a better way to live. And no matter what you've done, there is mercy for yesterday. Mercy. Now, some churches, why would I preach this? Well, I want to make sure that if you're new here and you came here because you heard that we're the ultra-conservative megachurch, which it's not a label that I hate. <laughs> it draws a nice line for me that I like. But, it's, um, but if you're here because you just wanted a church that preaches the truth, I want you to know that a church that only gets up and is like, duh, is not preaching the whole gospel. The scripture I read from John actually goes on and says, and he came full of grace and full of truth. The whole gospel is grace and truth. It's not just, you messed up, you messed up, stop that, don't. It's, I don't care about yesterday. Here's how to live. I'm praying that you will receive the grace of God to live in that tomorrow. It's the whole gospel. Amen? And so if you're new, know this. We're the truth church. And we're the grace church. It's not one or the other. It's both. Some weeks we'll preach a message that'll be a bit more hard hitting and you're like, oh, I need to change my life. And the next week it might be the same. Or it might be no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're welcome in God's house and he can help you fix your life. It's both. And it's true for every single one of you. We're not hypocrites when we hold up the word of God, but aren't quite getting there. Imagine just being, well, I'm not perfect, so I better not tell anybody anything ever. It's like, no, no, no. We hold it up and we're saying, this is how we ought to live our lives. Lord, help us get there. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Lord God, even though I'm still struggling with some of this, I'm still going to preach the whole thing and I'm going to ask for your help to become it. And when I fall, thank you for your grace that sustains my salvation from conviction to transformation. Amen. Would you all stand up with me? What I want to do right now is just pray for people who are away from Jesus. Our service will be over in five minutes. And then at the end, I'm going to pray for anyone. But you might need God to move in your marriage. You might need God to move in your finances. You might need God to move in your house, in your job. I don't know what you need from God, but I know that God's good and I know that He loves you and I know that He's a Father who provides and He hears your prayers. And you could go home wishing things were different or you could come and ask your Heavenly Father to move in your life today. Amen. And then when you know you've given it to God, the creator of the universe, perhaps that anxiety might leave as well as you just trust he's got this. Amen. But right now, I just want to spend a moment, just two minutes, talking to those away from God. I don't really need to say much more. I feel like this whole service, I preached on that, but I also preached the gospel. And I'll let you know that you're welcome in your father's house, that he loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. His, life, his plan is not that you just continue to live as you are, but with new songs to sing. His plan is that your life would transform. And while you honor Him and say, yes, Lord, it's okay to just struggle here and there. 
but just keep saying, yes, Lord, I believe that your word is true and is right. Help me live that way and he will help you. Some things will change immediately. Some things will change over time, but keep your heart open, keep saying yes to God and your life will be transformed by your submission and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.